Hey, Soul Fam, this is Eric. I'm here with Jen. I never thought I'd actually see us in this place right before the intro, right before the intro track, Jen. We wanted yeah. we wanted to uh, just hop on here and uh, just give you guys uh, a, a little brief summary of the interview that you're about to listen to. We we had the just wonderful opportunity to interview a, a, an author and spiritual teacher that me and Jen really, really respect. And uh, he wrote a book called Shine On, and uh, the interview that you're about to listen to is going to be about an hour and a half to two hours of just a, an unbelievable story of this man's journey. His name is David Ditchfield, and he wrote the book called Shine On, and this is a near-death experience. Uh, I'm going to read it off here. It says, a remarkable story of how I fell under a speeding train, journey to the afterlife, and the astonishing proof I brought back with me. And in this interview, he's going to talk about what it is that he experienced. He'll go over that astonishing proof, and he'll go over all of the amazing gifts that he came back from that experience with, including being able to, the, this uncanny and unbelievable ability to paint and to also compose mm -hmm. really, really great music. So just to give you guys um, just a, a brief synopsis, we go over basically his life leading up to the point. We briefly touch on the book, and we want everybody that's listening to this interview to hop online. You can find it on Amazon and probably all other media platforms, right, Jen? Absolutely. And you don't need to read the book to love the conversation in this podcast. I mean, the story is just incredible, and we touch on so many different aspects of the book, um, but also highly recommend in Eric and I's top five books of all time. Top five books of all time. I love this guy, Jen. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and the one thing that I really loved about me him too. is that he's just a humble dude. You know, he is. And yeah. he, he's so he, cool. He tells his story with such conviction, but he's also a really phenomenal writer. And that's the one thing that I also respect because I like to read books. Right. We both like to read books. So if you guys are into um, the journey, definitely stick around. We're going to talk not only about his near-death experience, but just we're going to get into the dynamics of who mm -hmm. he is as a person. And uh, he has a really wholesome, really warm vibe, and he has a lot of wisdom to share. So we're going to go really deep into this. Take a chance, go online, buy his book called Shine On. You definitely will not regret it. It's a really, really fantastic read, and maybe it'll, maybe it'll hop into your top five. So stick around. Stay tuned. Thank you guys for joining us. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Divine Nobodies Podcast with Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobodies Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and understanding. Welcome to our tribe. And now your hosts, Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. Hello, thank you for tuning in to Divine Nobody's podcast. I'm your host, Eric Ajna. Happy Mother's Day, Jen. Oh, thanks. Well, I don't have any children, but happy uh, you know uh, Dog Mother Day, right? Yeah, I was thinking about that too. If you're if you're somebody out there and you have uh, animals and pets, I have cats. Well, I have a cat, and and if you're if you're a female, that that counts. I feel like yeah. that counts. Yeah, you know what I mean. Might as well. So happy Mother's Day. Yeah, right. it's it's a it's a beautiful beautiful Sunday. Uh, it's the morning time. It's about nine a.m. So we're gonna get into something really special that we wanted to bring to you guys today, and it's uh, we're gonna get we're gonna get reading Rainbow up in here, Jen. Oh yeah, with this book, yeah, and and me and Jen are we're really really well versed on um, well just lots of different books. She was reading one by Jay Shetty recently, and then um, 
I came across this one uh, with Jen, and I thought, hey, we got to read this together and kind of form our own book club. We've actually met a few times about (laughs) this book, Um, and then we ended up reaching out to um, this fellow, and we're going to go ahead and bring him on because it's a really, really compelling story, and it's going to be a near-death experience, and he's going to go over just uh, uh, basically the logistics of the book, and it's a really, really special book. Um, It's one of probably my top five favorite books of all time right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. And we read a lot yeah. of books on this podcast. That's Yeah, we read a lot. a lot of books. Yeah, yeah, we read a lot of books. And um, in, in contrast to this book, though, I mean, it, it, I've read books like Betty Eady's Embraced by the Light, which is a really, really good book if you guys want to pick it up. Basically, it shows her account of a near-death, near-death experience. And then Beyond the Light by PMH Atwater. And she has a lot of really great material on near-death experiences as well. And then sort of the godfather of them all, which is Raymond Moody, who wrote Life After Life. And the beautiful thing about this book, Jen, is that he wrote the acknowledgments in yeah, this book. He endorsed this that book. We're going to talk yes. about it. So, and Raymond Moody's a, a wonderful fellow, and I've been following him for a long time. And then once I got into this book, it all kind of changed for me because it put a different spin on how I experience or read um, these type of books. We're going to get into it. So. Uh, this book is written by David Ditchfield, and this is a remarkable story of how he fell under a speeding train, journey to the afterlife, and the astonishing proof I brought back with me. And we have David with us today. So you want to go ahead and just introduce him, David Ditchfield? How are you doing, David? Hey, I'm good, thanks. Great to meet you both. <laughs> oh my gosh, we are so excited. You have no idea. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're, we're huge fans. I so I was so excited. You know, like when you're a kid and your parents um, take take you tell you they're going to go to Disneyland and then you you can't sleep the day before and you end up sleeping in your clothes. That was a uh, pretty much. That was pretty much me. Wow, yeah. that's great. I'm that's great. I'm girling big time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was working on my UK accent. I was working on my UK accent. You guys can hear it. Oh, oh. oh wait, here it goes, Jen. I've, I've been trying it because I, I, I I love his act. I love your accent, David. I was like, I okay, too. my name's Eric. And, I'm, and I like the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of have to like, you start at the bottom and you kind of go up a little bit. You know? I got a long that's, way to go. I got a long way to go. Good. Yeah. That's very good. That's very good. That's better than my English accents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So David, there's definitely a lot to cover in this book. And um, wanted to just dive right into kind of what your experience is. And then um, we have questions that are kind of built around um the story in the book. The one thing that I really, really loved about the book is it's kind of structured like a movie. Mm-hmm. And in the way that the circumstances leading up to the accident come first, and then you kind of backtrack backtrack to your life leading up to that moment. And you know, you mentioned that you were dyslexic. And mm-hmm. I wonder how much of that dyslexia came into you writing the book because you start in the middle and then you go to the beginning and then it, it kind of jumps around. Did that have an effect on how you wrote the book? That's very interesting because I've never really thought about it from that, that perspective. Um, whether my dyslexia had anything to do with that, um, it, it could be because I, I, because of my dyslexia, I've hardly read any books, so I'm not familiar, I guess, with the, with the structure. So, I and I wanted it to be a, kind of have a, a cinematic sort of you know movie feel to it, and some movies that I've seen, particularly some really good old French movies, they're very much like that. They'll they've got they'll chop up time and and you know they'll just yeah. throw something from the future halfway through the third half or whatever you know and, and then go back mm-hmm. and it's and there's no there's no rules basically so yeah. i figured that might be quite nice yeah that's what i loved about it is that a lot of those books on near-death experiences they they 
they're not really structured that way. A lot of them are pretty, they, they start at the experience and they kind of trail off from that. But the one thing that I really loved about the book is it shows a really personal story about who you are, your life leading up to mm-hmm. that moment. And uh, is, is, it, it's about a near-death experience, sure. But once I finished the entire book, it's about so much more than that. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, there's like a level of intimacy that you have and vulnerability that you have that you don't normally see in these type of books and just books in general. I love how just fiercely honest you are about your journey. Yeah, so you shared so many personal details. I mean, uh, and embarrassing details too. I mean, I'm I'm reading it and I'm like, oh, I could just feel your pain. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. People have said that. You know what? I didn't plan that either. I didn't actually think about it. You know, I just thought, right, I'm going to write it as it is and just throw everything in there because. I felt it was important to show, you know, the journey of me, the person that the struggling, the struggle I had in life before the actual accident and the near-death experience itself and the transformation. Yeah. So it was important to throw all that in really and not hold anything back. Yeah, yeah it, I, I thought so too. And Eric and I were talking about this before, how this is such an amazing example. And you, and you give so many examples throughout the book of how anything is possible with Source. Like once you get into the flow, things just start to happen and come to you and you created a whole new life without any experience in art or, you know, orchestras for that matter, you know, and created some really amazing things. So, yeah, I I totally agree that that all of those personal experiences really do just provide examples for for your life. Yeah, well, Also, ultimately, I mean, I found this from feedback from people who've read the book, and a lot of people have related to it because it's even though I say my life was a struggle, I think it's that's the same for, for an awful lot of us. You know, we we all struggle through life, and and sometimes, especially in childhood, it, it can take an awful long time to actually sort of mold our characters to fit into society and and make things work. And we're all very good at acting and appearing like life is going great, but it's underneath the surface, you know, it's, it's not always the case. So, yeah, I thought I'd bring that in. (laughs) Yeah. You seem, um, and one thing that I gather just by the way that you write, which I really appreciate, you seem like a very highly empathetic person and you can feel it in the way that you write. You're always thinking sort of 10 seconds ahead. And, um, I know that you, sort of mention what I mean by 10 seconds ahead is like you notice in the book like all of your insecurities sort of come out the doubts that you have you're you're placing yourself into the situation of of, of is this good enough or or should I be doing this or you I notice that you also see certain behaviors in other people would you say that you are a highly empathetic person were you that way prior to the experience or did your um, near-death experience sort of heighten that for you no the the near-death experience must certainly heighten that yeah you know it's it, yeah I was before I'd say that my life I'd, I'd always explain it as being linear you know i was just skimming across the surface of life and i wasn't really addressing any emotions i had no Mm -hmm. spiritual sort of feelings or anything you know it was just literally sort of living from day to day and uh, hoping for the best and any adversity that happened in my life i just wouldn't deal with it you know my way of dealing with it was literally going to the nearest bar and finding my friends and start drinking some beers you know (laughs) but but now it's a lot more yeah, my life is a lot more, you know, there's a lot more empathy in my life towards others. And, you know, it's, it's I, and I've also, because I've learned a lot more about other people who've had NDEs, and that is very much the case. A lot of people come back feeling a lot more empathetic and a lot more love to, to the world and, and people surrounding them. Yeah, right. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, Eric um, and I both have had NDEs, but Eric's was much more profound than mine. I was a child whenever mine happened, but um, yeah. Yeah. And I was so, in my, my, in 22. And, and sure. maybe that's something that we can get into later, but music yeah. is a really integral part of that experience. And that's the one thing that I related to so much about your story. So um, before we get into uh, too much, I, I want to give uh, the audience kind of a, an idea of what type of experience that you had. So we'll just go ahead and fast forward to uh, the moment when you are at the train. Can you go over kind of like what that experience was like and then ultimately your near-death experience and then we can kind of um, go back into some of these questions? Sure. Well, we have a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, that, that's cool. <laughs> um, basically, I, I was seeing a friend off at a rail station uh, in Cambridge in the UK and uh, I was helping her on onto the car with, with, her, with her bags and saying goodbye and stuff. And as we hugged and kissed, um, I, my coat got trapped in the automatic closing doors and I just couldn't pull it free. It was just like the bottom corner. And it was a very thick sort of quality sheepskin coat, so there was no way I was going to get it pulled out. Um, I looked around for a guard on the platform and there's no one around, uh, you know, and uh, so I just yelled for help anyhow at the top of my voice and was banging on the doors, but nothing happened. So I, I remember just looking into the eyes of my friend Anna, who I was seeing off, and I just saw sheer terror in her face, and I just thought, I, I, I was facing death at that point. I thought I wasn't going to survive this. And it was terrifying, obviously. Um, then the train engine started to rev up and it started pulling out the station at great speed. You don't realize how fast they pull out of stations. You know, when you sat yeah. inside, you go straight into your cell phone and start texting people. But when yeah. that happens, it's like, wow, you know, the, the sheer pull was just overwhelming and it pulled me off my feet and I was dragged along the platform at great speed and then I was sucked between the, the edge of the platform edge and then the speeding train and it was like being pulled down into a, a huge violent machine. I was just thrown straight into darkness and I was hurled around like a ragdoll and um, it was very, very violent, very terrifying and uh, I, I was conscious throughout the whole thing. Uh, but... There was this part of me was determined to survive. You know, I went into fight or flight mode, as, that, as they call it, you know, and I decided to fight, as it were. And um, time stretched. It's interesting because uh, it, it wasn't like it was in slow motion, but the whole thing only took a matter of seconds from, from the point of the train pulling off and me going under. But it felt like minutes to me, and I had time to think it through. I remember as I was dragged along the platform edge, I'd seen a news item where a young child had been thrown from a burning apartment block and from the third floor and had survived without injuries. And they put that down to the fact that infants don't tense up like we do as adults. So I decided just to relax. And that, that helped me. But I knew ultimately now, looking back, that there was something far greater than, than me and us and the, the whole train and everything that, that was determined to save my life that day because... I should have died uh, by by all statistics. You know, the rail police, the UK rail police, did a massive inquiry, and they said afterwards, they said, "We don't get it. You know, we banged our heads together, and you you should not have survived that. You should be dead. You know, but obviously, yeah. I survived." So, yeah. I, when I read this, when I was reading the book and I read this part in the story, I was wondering why you didn't just take your jacket off. So, once you realized yeah. that it was caught in the door. Yeah, Were you like not I say, able it was, it was, to, or did it just not occur to you that you weren't going to get it out? I just knew I wasn't 
going to get it off in time. Um, it was yeah. the, this kind of sheepskin coat had like the, there was there was no lining on it, if you like. So the sheepskin was like attached to my to my sweater that I was wearing underneath, and so oh, okay. uh, it was that tight that you've just got no time whatsoever to think about it. if that's something like that. If I had a, a nice kind of like silky lining, it would have been straight off, you know. But that, yeah. in yeah. fact, the, there was one of the guy on the platform who was seeing off his girlfriend. And he shouted to me, take your coat off, mate. Take it off. But, <laughs> yeah, so, I remember that. So, yeah, so that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. yeah. And you did, you did a really good job of explaining that sort of um, lapse in time um, because you, you were able to squeeze in a lot of different observations within a short period of time. That's so right. when you leave it, at least in the book, it, it seemed like it, it, it went on forever. And forever. it definitely didn't have like a linear sort of feel to it. It had like a very timeless perspective all yeah. the way down from it pulling you under and then you being able to actually see your arm opened up and seeing all the, the muscles inside. And then there are certain p- periods where you were looking at the sky and you were able to see the blue. Like it was a very, it, it, you definitely structured it like a movie. It was Yeah, beautiful. well, it, it was very much like that. In fact, it's interesting because I saw um, there's a, a U.S. guy called uh, Dr. David Eagleman. And uh, uh, he was doing some TV programs here in, in the BBC uh, all about the brain. And he talked uh-huh. about this and he said that... Um, that certain people, when they're facing death situations, like like myself, uh, like rock climbers, you know, are just about to fall off a high mountain with, with no ropes. He said that um, it's. He said time. The brain sort of develops almost like this thirty-five millimeter camera. <coughs> excuse me, where they can take everything in that's going on around them, and yeah. it's not like slow motion, but it's just like you. You everything becomes cinematic, and you become where yeah. all your senses become high, heightened, and so. It's actually something that happens to the brain. So, so that was that's what was going on with me. It's it was yeah. really strange how it all felt like I got time to think it through. I mean, even when I was, as I was tossed around, I, it was like being thrown into a into a, a spin dryer of a washing machine at full spin, you know. But once I hit the ground, as the train was still continuing on, I was laid between the tracks, and even then, I was thinking like all the movies I'd seen like Indiana Jones or whatever or, or yeah. 007 I thought right what would he <laughs> right. do now 007 would just keep his head right into the gravel because otherwise I could get hit by the any uh, the undercarriage of the train you know it could all be over so um, yeah. yeah so there was lots of thoughts going on so at that point yeah so you you were under the tracks and the, the the train was speeding over your head, right? That's right. Yeah. And 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 it, you were thinking you were telling me earlier about how fast we we underestimate how fast these trains are going. So imagine yes. this this experience is happening really really quickly. Mm. So um, one thing that uh, brought up came up for me when you were talking about how your mind becomes hyper aware of just different experiences. It makes me think of like the life review that people experience um, once they've actually gone through that near death experience. It's like when they. People think of a life review. They think of a, a linear sort of progression, like you you die, you go to your childhood, you go to your adolescence, and then it kind of progresses from there. But from what I, my understanding of what I've read in life reviews is it all happens all at once. Right? Sure. It all yeah. happens in this okay. sort of 360 yeah. view, and you can't explain it, um, you know, I guess with the rational mind, but it's all happening at the same time. And I imagine maybe there's some level of that near-death experience that was occurring to you um, when you were under this train where all of these things that your your all of your senses were activated at one time and you were able to experience um all those different things you know? yeah well i mean yeah. at that point i hadn't actually had the the near-death experience itself that didn't occur until i got into the hospital but hospital. i yeah. i still look back at the actual accident itself and, and and there's something quite mystical about all that you know people say yeah. to me 
you know, how do you manage to recall this story every single time in interviews and talk about it? Uh, and um, and it, yeah, it was tough. I mean, no, no person should have to go through something like that. You know, it, uh, it, you know, I had to, I had a lot of therapy to deal with it because I had post traumatic stress disorder from it, but. I can talk about it because I also know that there was, you know, there was, as I say, I felt that there was something far greater than me, a far greater energy that was a force that was at play right at that moment in time that was determined to save me from imminent death or, or worse than that, even more severe injuries, you know, that could have been, you know, yeah. very, very, very bad. I, you know, I came out of it really, really well. So, yeah. <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah. And you actually brought it up that that's not when you had your NDE is that's during right, the actual yeah. event. It was after. So yeah. can you tell us a little bit about the hospital scene? Because this is, I thought, you know, okay, everything's all good. Like, when does the NDE happen? I got a little <laughs> sure. confused in the book, so. Yeah, that's right. Well, that didn't happen until the, they got me into the hospital. You know, we, we got there. And I, basically, I was losing copious amounts of blood because my left arm had been severed from the elbow down. So by the time I got into the um, uh, ER department, um, you know, all the guys that were there, and I could tell here by the, their voices that they were scared. There was a lot of frantic sort of uh, science going on over my head. I didn't even understand what they were talking about. And I thought, it's not over yet, you know. And um, so it was... It was it was at that point, really, when I was laid in the ER department that um, the blood loss was so high that I suddenly left my body and um, and I went on to uh, another realm. And um, uh, I, I went from all the frantic sort of atmosphere of the hospital and the bright lights and stuff and the, and the overkill of sand to a really calm and beautiful what appeared to be a, like a darkened space, uh, but not a foreboding darkness. It was like a really comforting darkness. And uh, and I figured straight away, actually, I thought, okay, I didn't make it. I thought, I'm dead. This is it. I, this is the next stage. So I kind of figured that out straight away. I didn't resist it or fight it. I mean, I've, 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 I've since learned that some people do. Some people say, no, I've got too much to come back. I've got my kids or what have you, and they want to come back. But it, I didn't want to die, but... There was, it was such a beautiful contrast from what I'd just been through to be in this beautiful, calm space. And um, I was I was greeted, if you like, by these um, pulsating colours of lights. There, there were like sort of orbs of greens and yellows and oranges and ambers, and they were just slowly pulsating like landing lights at an airport, you know. And I just felt comforted by this. And You know, I, we were we were talking about this. It sounds so much like an alien abduction. <laughs> whatever yeah, you're yeah, talking well, about yeah, like the lights and laying on the stone that wasn't really hard it was soft and and the sheet that was laying over you that was like a a, a material you had never seen before so, yeah yeah we, no exactly yeah it's it's uh it's it's interesting because you know although a lot of the things did feel familiar the actual stone that you talked about that i was laying on it was like a huge slate rocket really basically and this rock was like a medieval altar and uh, it's the best way for me to describe it and the only thing that was different about it was that it felt comfortable to lay out on i, I realized i was no longer clothed apart from this sheet that was covering covering me it was like which was like a, a satin sort of silky sort of texture to it and i felt comforted by that blue and it's almost similar to the blue background you've got behind it there interestingly enough and hey. uh, and yeah and uh, it was uh, and so I just thought, okay, so 
I decided I checked my body as well to see how my injuries were looking and everything was fixed everything was back in place there wasn't there wasn't even a single scratch uh, or cut or bruise and my left arm was, was back in place so I thought okay this is good news and um, I laid my head back and uh, as I did I looked up and I, I saw like these three symmetrical grids of white light that slowly closed in on me and I looked into that light and I couldn't take my gaze away even though it's like it's so intensely bright normal it's normally that kind of brightness might might the the human eye wouldn't be able to take it but in this plane I could and I, in fact I couldn't take my gaze away because I felt like that the light energy coming from it was healing me I felt very it felt beautiful and calming so I just remember just laying there and just enjoying um, this this light and energy that was coming through to me and um then i felt the presence of somebody uh had arrived at the scene if you like so um i i looked ahead of me and there there was there was a, there was a an androgynous being just stood at my feet um just a, you know neither male nor female with this pure white blonde hair and this skin that was radiating light from within and this person was just wearing like a simple contemporary black t-shirt, you know, nothing too ethereal or otherworldly, <laughs> just a simple black t-shirt. And uh, so I went, okay. And I said, I know you, don't I? I know your face. This face was just so familiar. And this person just kept grinning back at me and wasn't going to give anything away at all. And I said, who are you? I know you, don't I? And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm not getting anything from this person, but that's okay with me because I felt... I felt this person was guarding me and was taking care of me and I felt totally safe at this point. So I laid my head back again and enjoyed the energy that was coming through from these grids of light. And uh, then I suddenly felt the, the presence of, of uh, three, so a few more people that arrived and, and there, there were there were two female forms either side of me. Uh, there was a girl to my right who was like very kind of um i don't know she looked quite european looking with uh, with brown hair wearing again like a simple brown dress and um then the girl to my left was more um asian indian american indian uh, sort of in, in appearance and wearing more of a, a traditional dress and uh, they both had their hands just slowly going over my body just kind of hovering over all the contours of my body and it felt yeah it felt like they were they were healing the you know all the trauma that i'd just been through from that accident but it was more than that you know because the energy that was coming from their hands was just so powerful there was just it felt like an energy of love that was just coming from these hands and i felt like they were healing um all the years of um of of injuries that have been afflicted to my soul, if you like, I felt like my soul was being healed. You know, I mean, we all carry baggage with us from 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 our, from throughout our lives, and it felt like all these layers of baggage were being slowly pulled away from me, and the pure essence of my soul was now coming into form, and it felt great. You know, I felt the the best I'd ever felt in my whole life. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, That's incredible. One, one thing that I, I know about um, or just near-death experiences is, is it seems in some ways for some people it's kind of abstract to try and explain what it is that you go through. But one thing that I, I commonly see is um, that white light that you're talking about, how it kind of sort of like penetrates through your entire being. And it's hard to it's hard to kind of rationalize that in your mind because I imagine it's a very experiential sort of experience. When you were being bathed by this light, how did it feel? Did it feel like very blissful, like a like a high was it just like this unbelievable joy that you were feeling? 
Yeah, it it was it was it was a, it was a very calm and peaceful sort of high. You know, it just uh, yeah. it just felt like uh, I was being cleansed. Uh, you know, of all the sort of as I say, of all the all the baggage that I've been carrying throughout my life. So it was just you know, um, it it was. I'd especially up until the point of the accident itself, my life was going so terribly wrong that I was drinking heavily. I was beating myself up in my in my own mind, and and it felt like all that suddenly made sense, and that I wasn't a bad person. And it was just feeling yeah. like I just felt like yeah, I'm okay. There's nothing wrong with me. What was I worried about? You know, because I spent so much time worrying about past mistakes that I'd made. I was so concerned about my future because I was broke. I thought, where am I going to go? I was about to lose my apartment and I was about to lose everything. You know, but suddenly that didn't matter anymore it really you know it just seemed like irrelevant and all of a sudden what seemed key was the fact that my pure essence of my soul was felt beautiful and it felt important and it felt important to me for the first time it almost feels like that that maybe that feeling of of uh, oneness that comes over you because i mean jenna have had conversations about this in the past which is you know a lot of the violence and suffering that we see in the world comes from this sort of lack of awareness as to what the true nature of spirit is which is if you think that you're a finite human being and this is the only life that you have people would do a lot of crazy shit um, yeah. in order to try and make what what it is that they want to happen and that involves you know um, hurting other people or even hurting themselves but um, the one thing that I, I've just gathered from my own experience and my practice and I'm from ne- reading about near-death ex- near experiences that it creates this expansion in you where suddenly you understand where your place is in the sort of the, the, the full spectrum of how source works. There's like this almost feeling of oneness to where you realize how infinite your spirit is and how eternal it is. And all of a sudden, all those things that we bother ourselves with in this sort of three-dimensional reality don't seem, I wouldn't say insignificant, but you can kind of just take a really big sigh of relief knowing that, you know, you, you essentially can't die. If you're a part of source, you're just eternal. Yeah. Was absolutely. that what you experienced? Was this, this sense of your eternal self? Yeah, no, most certainly it, it was, it was interesting because, uh, it was most certainly me there. It felt like me that was there, but it felt like, uh, it was the complete, me you know me complete without any negative issues that, are, that that i was carrying with me throughout my life and and that's true it's um you know people say to me oh do you do you fear death now and i say no i don't at all because i, I realize now that the soul is too far a greater in- entity just to suddenly stop existing yeah the body stops and decays but the soul just continues on and that's what i felt at that point i felt that the, the soul had moved on which which you know i wish a lot of people could understand that because i think that's a brilliant thing you just pointed out there that people are are constantly trying to sort of tread over each other because you know they don't acknowledge that the the fear of death that's going on within us all because we just don't talk about death do we it's never discussed ever and uh, it's not like we should talk about it over our morning coffee every single day but we should at least address it once because, uh, you know, we address everything else. We address birth and we plan for birth. We plan for marriage or even taking our car test, driving test, you know, but we don't plan for death, which is inevitable. And I think if we did, uh, as you very well pointed out, that could change our perspective on, on how we lived our lives and how we treated other people around us. Absolutely. Yeah, I think- we, we talk about death a lot on this podcast and, you know, 
one point that, so we're very familiar with talking about death. We talk about it all the time, but um, it's funny that you said over your morning coffee, because I kind of feel like (laughs) that's a, that's a normal occurrence here. But (laughs) I thought that this was really interesting in your book. You were talking about Joy the Healer and some information that she gave you because you came to her with questions about, about death and dying and what it all meant and, you know, why this happened. And you didn't really have a ton of support from anyone else. Right. And it was like, really this healer gave you some some really important information Mm. i took a quote out of the book i'm going to read it real quick because it kind of goes along with what eric was just talking about it says terrible things are happening right now everywhere around us but hell exists here on earth only because people are still working out the hell within themselves so i thought that it's what a great explanation uh, to to talk about you know what this experience really is and and Mm. what death really is right Sure. And why we torture ourselves in our waking yeah, lives. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's that, that's very true. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, that spirit actually um, it shows up here through us, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I mean, joy was just like, I mean, after the NDA itself, there was a lot of synchronicity happened in my life. You know, a lot of people tend to walk in, uh, into my path. Uh, that were helping me and, and joy was one of them as you can as you read in the book you know but interestingly enough I, I was also seeing um uh, a therapist as well to deal with my post-traumatic stress disorder and she was coming from a more scientific point of view and mm-hmm. I, I wanted to include her in the book and in the story because they were both equally as important to me if you like because science is 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 very important you know without science i wouldn't be sat here talking to you now you know science kept me alive physically you know as it were but um but yeah she, she was fantastic and and also you know i came across her through spiritual healing and spiritual healing is an amazing thing that not many people seem to know that much about and it's interesting how a lot of people think it's it's not that they think it's it's like shaking the devil out of you or something like that which is not it's yeah. a very beautiful calm process you know and i'd recommend it yeah. to anyone it helped me greatly yeah. when i was recovering it helped me not just physically but emotionally because i you know to, to deal with the trauma of the accident and uh so that's how i came across uh joy and and her teachings and uh and also you know she t- she told me as well that a lot of the the wisdom that she passed on to me wasn't just her you know that she'd read it in books or anything like that or or that she was incredibly wise she told me that she was channeling those words through um which Mm -hmm. is something channeling is something that i'm very familiar with because i use that in my work now both in my paintings and in my music you know channeling is something that we can all do as well so you don't have to have a have an accident or a near-death experience to be able to channel you know basically yeah the one thing that I, i i um when you were talking about, uh, well, uh, talking about healing and, and how people perceive healing. So I've been in that healing community as a sound healer for quite some time. And I also have like a, a certification in Reiki. So um, trying to explain what Reiki is and what this energetic healing is to people is kind of tricky because you're right. They think it's like you're shooting lightning bolts out of your, your fingertips and like you're, you're bringing <laughs> down the, the angels and you're kind of yeah. doing the thing. But the one thing that um, provides clarity, at least for my experience, is a near-death experience or something that someone would um, maybe go through through a plant medicine where it changes your relationship to love because prior to something like that, a lot of people have an intellectual understanding of what love is, yeah. right? Um, it's very objective and it's very subjective to um, what we define as love. But the one thing that I've read in these near-death experiences and even my own experience is that love stops being a concept and it becomes like a real tangible thing, mm-hmm. like an actual energy that exists. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to the understanding of energy work, 
um, when someone's laying hands on me, like for me, it's that, 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 that love that somebody's radiating through their fingertips, that calm and that peace is a very real experience. Yeah. You know, it's like a very real um, sort of healing um, experience. You know, yeah. that person yeah. is the conduit. It's not that person yeah. that is providing the healing. It's source that's providing the healing through Absolutely. the conduit of that person. Yeah. 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 The, in fact, you know, all, I still go to spiritual healing, although I haven't been for, for a year, of course, because of what's been going on with the pandemic, uh, which I miss greatly. But um, my the healers that I see, you know, I, I, it's time, you know, I have to say, wow, that was amazing. You know, you're such a brilliant healer. And everyone will deny it and say, look, it's not, I'm not a great healer. It's just the energy. I'm just channeling it. It's just coming through me. You know, it's just, it's coming from, you know, from thoughts from the energies from from my guides your guides you know and that's where it's all coming from but you still feel it and it's just uh it's it's, it's remarkable it's a beautiful feeling it really is yeah i mean i think it's incredible that you were able to actually see your guides and meet them right you know through your NDE yeah. whenever they were healing that's you right, yeah. um yeah. did you ever talk to another psychic or uh anyone to get more information about your healers i did yeah because um you know, when i i mean when i first came when I'd had the, the near-death experience, I knew nothing about them. I, as I said to you earlier, I was not spiritual at all, so I knew nothing about it. So for me, it was a bit of a like, wow, is this me, the only person that this has happened to? You know, Of course, it, it, before long, I realized that that wasn't the case. And um, I found a, a spiritualist church um, that was nearby because I was recovering at my sister's house. Um, who I'd been staying with, and, and I knew there was a spiritualist church in the town. So once I was well enough to start walking around we walked around and i remember finally discovering it because it was it was a hidden doorway in this alleyway near a river and there it was so i went in and when i went into that church you know they were brilliant because i they just explained everything to me they knew you know they said oh you you're the guy who went under the train you were all over the news yeah you had a Mm near-death experience i went ah great and uh It was so yeah. So I, I learnt an awful lot from from them. From and uh, uh, yeah, they were beautiful, beautiful souls. But I also went online, of course, and, and discovered. I came across Dr. Raymond Moody, who you talked about earlier, and uh, and I knew nothing about him either. Uh, but I, the first painting that I did. I just sent it to him uh, in an email, just on on the off chance, and uh, he got back pretty quick. And uh, he said, "This is a, this is an amazing painting, you know," and he he loved it. And he so he helped me as well, just by just talking a bit about what had happened. So that was great. Yeah. In, you know, in, in, go ahead. Sorry, Eric, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I was, was going to say, um, in the book, you um, you struggled with um, drinking, right? Yes. And. What was it about the experience that made it such a quick decision to give that up? Because many people struggled to give up those things, right? They got to go through like a 12-step program. They got to go through like extensive therapy. But um, um, I, I asked because it's not uncommon for people to just up and decide to quit, like illicit drug use after like profound experiences like that, especially with stuff like plant medicine. You hear it a lot. And you ask these people what happened. It seems to be um, kind of really difficult for them to come up with what exactly caused them to just up and decide to quit um what is it about that experience you think had the ability to pull you out of that so quickly to just decide one day you just didn't want to drink anymore um well basically when i came back from the experience you know the the whole near-death experience itself was just like uh the energy that was coming through as i say was was unconditional love and it was teaching me that uh i to love myself so i came back with an awful lot of self-love and and from that self-worth as well so it it just the whole concept of drinking just seems such an alien concept and so 
I was also determined to um, uh, survive uh, and, and recover from the accident, you know, because I, it took a long time to recover from that. And so it, I felt like I, I, an awful lot of strength was still coming through from that other realm when I was recovering, when I was in hospital. And in fact, my my consultant was turning around and saying, you're recovering at an incredible rate, you know, this is remarkable. We're so, I became his star sort of patient, you know, and mm -hmm. I said, that's because I'm being helped by, and of course he, he couldn't handle what I was talking about, <laughs> about the yeah. NDE. So I thought, okay, I'm not going to go into that. He's a scientist. But anyhow, um, so yeah, so, I'm, so yeah, the self-love and the self-worth that I that I brought back with me was, was giving me that strength to give up and stop drinking you know and uh and i just you know it didn't belong to me anymore that that sort of uh that dark yeah. sort of matter if you like that was part of me so yeah that, yeah. that, that simply had to go so when you were in that experience feeling that unconditional love if you had a choice would you have stayed there like if if, if they were if they asked you to to, to just hey you know i think at that moment in time yeah i would have stayed because it just felt um fantastic and as i say i felt like complete for the first time in the whole of my life so that feeling of completeness and all the love i was getting was just so profound that i just thought this is great but i think that well the basically the moment that turned that all around i mean i didn't make the decision to come back you know they they or the universe made that decision for me but the yeah. turning point was um when i saw uh, what I felt at first, I felt this energy of love had suddenly turned up like a huge dial, and I thought, "What's going on?" And I opened my eyes and lifted my head again. And just ahead of, just behind the the, the being of light that was stood in front of me was this huge tunnel of white light that was just slowly coming towards me. And that the intensity of energy that, and light that was coming from that was just. It was wow, it was incredible. It's like every single molecule of my body was vibrating with this love, this experience of love. And it was surrounded by all these dramatic flames that were slowly circulating all around the edge of it. And I just thought, wow, what is this? And, um, and I knew what I was staring at here was the source of all creation. You know, this is where it all comes from. This is where the universe and our lives and the whole thing, the whole shebang starts is in this tunnel of white light. And so, um, and it was pretty much at that moment that I was sent back into my body and came crashing back into the hospital. But a lot of people say, oh, you must have been disappointed when you came back. But it, funnily enough, I wasn't because I was so filled with all this joy and knowledge that uh, all I could think of was, right, well, why have they sent me back? And what is my mission? What, you, know, what, you know, what's my goal? What am, I, what am I supposed to be doing there? Which took me an awful lot of time to figure out, you know, throughout that, my whole stay in hospital, I was thinking, I didn't know what it was. I've got to do. But, um, yeah. yeah. Well, let's, I want to rewind a little bit and talk about your life before the NDE and sure. your relationship with Emily and how that kind of uh, Emily. shaped into, yeah, oh, Emily. Oh, Emily. Uh, <laughs> Ems. <laughs> and, and, Ems. What, um, and what role she plays in your life later on in the book. So can you talk a little bit about that, about your relationship with her and um, even about the, uh, the embarrassing story with the socks? Yeah, sure. With the well, hole in your sock. Yeah, well, I mean, basically, you know, she's Emily is it represents everything that I was aspiring to in my life before the near death experience. You know, she didn't represent love. Uh, she was never going to be give, give me any fulfillment in my life. 
She was very beautiful and was very, you know, very successful. And that's what I was aspiring to. I'd, 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 I'd moved to London without any qualifications. And I was hoping that that would turn my life around, you know, like, you know, I thought it was a land of opportunity. So, and she was part of that social scene and she was hanging out with all these people who were working in the music industry. And so I thought, yeah, I want to be part of all that, but I was never going to get in through that door. So, um, you know, she was also, if you like, holding a mirror up in, in, in front of me at that point and saying, look at yourself, you know, look how desperate you are trying to get into my life. So it always made me feel really quite sort of unworthy. And um, so, yeah, so she came to the story and um, and she she returned later and into after after. Mm-hmm. After I'd had the experience and after I'd started creating paintings and started writing music, you know, and then she became interested yeah. in me again. I mean, that's a very common story. I'm, I'm not the first guy mm-hmm. for this to happen to, let's face it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We were, we <laughs> were cheering I, I, whenever you tore up her business card. We were like, yes. Just look, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you, you were in your studio with like your paint, you were doing the painting and she walked up and you did a really good job at explaining that scenario, by the way. Oh, but like, when you. you talked about her walking up the stairs, I was like, all right. Here we go. Here she's yeah. coming. And then she comes up and you start talking to her. And then she starts talking about like, yeah, she's working with this art dealer guy and she's in art and she's talking about the logistics behind selling artwork. And I just think, started thinking to myself like, oh, I wonder what David must be thinking right now. Yeah. And then when she was like, oh, you want to come and see me and come and, come and hang out? And, um, you know, she told, that, told you that it didn't work out with that guy. And then she gave you her card. I was like, David, David. David, don't do it. Don't do it. Well, it wasn't an act of vengeance or anything like that. I only got that in me, but uh, it was just a moment of like realization that was that wow, this what that person is not part of my life anymore. You know, we don't don't connect because I'm not I'm not criticizing her either. Actually, funny enough, I'm not criticizing anybody for their lifestyle. But all I'm trying all I was trying to point out was that that. I was just chasing all the wrong things. They just weren't for me. They weren't meant to be in my in my life on my life's journey, as it were. You know. So yeah, I'm sure she's very yeah. happy now, and she's found the person who is meant to be on her pathway. Yeah. Yeah. So we were wondering after after she reappeared in your life, if if she did hang around at all, did she help you at all with your artwork and having it be seen, or after no, that no. moment she was just Th- done? That was it. Yeah, that was that was it. I think she she decided she not got the message but you know that was it you know we, yeah. we weren't going to take yeah. it any further she got she got that one you know i think so and um that was fine it, it would never have been comfortable for either of us i don't think it would have been you know it's yeah. it would have no. been like we would have just been playing a uh, playing an act with each other and i can't do that anymore yeah. i can't play the act anymore i've got to be totally authentic to myself and uh, and that's that's the to me that's the key that's 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 what success is it's not the the actual being successful it's the doing you know it's if whatever you're mm-hmm. doing that's that's where the success lies rather than the actual end game if that makes sense yeah. so do you think you talk- she had any idea about your about your situation and your financial situation especially um when you guys were dating um, well, she probably had an inkling, but I didn't give too much away because, again, as I say, you know, I was acting then, so I was trying to mm-hmm. act as if, you know, things were going to be fine, and and uh, and that, uh, you know, <laughs> I was a very good actor at that point. Let's face it, but you know, so to keep things, to keep those plates spinning, you know, but um, yeah, yeah I, it was just it was very tiring and stuff. And I, I think underneath, I mean, she her instincts would have told her that that I wasn't the. the the, the success that she expects she expected me to be or what have you, you mm-hmm. yeah but and there I can you relate that. to this 
and I can relate to the the story about that because I've been that person before. Yeah. And we were talking about earlier about um, just different synchronicities that happen in life. Um, follow um, uh, kind of after that experience that you had, but I also look at this as there were synchronicities leading up to that moment too. It's crazy how source will put people in your life. Yes. And like you said, like become a mirror to show us all the things that we really need to really address, not not to try and be like them, but to practice more self-love and self-worth in ourselves so that we could sort of like lift ourselves up to that point. And um, that's the one thing that I really love about this story, aside of the near-death experience, is it does sort of, um, it, it, it sort of, follows you along your own sort of journey and self-discovery, even outside of the near-death experience. You know, there's a, a rawness and an honesty to your cadence, and there's something beautiful about a story that's written by someone with nothing to lose, because there's no reason to pretend after a certain point or mm. protect some image that you have of who you are. What's interesting yeah. is that you wrote the book with this very fierce form of honesty, and um, even in some situations, you seem kind of reluctant to uh, be more open and vulnerable to some people um, in in the story. Mm. Um, was it was it difficult to write the book um, and have to unload and unpack a lot of this, these these vulnerable emotions? Because it's one thing for you to have gone through that experience in real time, but having to trace back and put this into context, like into intellectual words, was it hard? to share yeah, to be that vulnerable there were moments that the for me that were hard to to recapture and, and relive some of the some of the key issues of, of the story yeah because it's like you know you're opening up a lid on something that you kept closed for some time um but ultimately it was almost like a it was a, it was quite therapeutic you know if you think about it you know if, if uh uh, for me, because I'd had therapy, I know that, that that therapy is all about you sitting there and just, it's not the therapist really giving you advice. The therapist is, is encouraging you just to talk and to talk about everything that's that's within you. So it was like a big therapy session. So it, it was kind of good in a way um, to be able to do it. And again, going back to what I was saying earlier but about I wasn't looking to for it to be a big successful book either. I wasn't even thinking about that, you know. It's just, I just wanted to write my story. And I thought even if I, you know, just self-publish it and only uh, my family and close friends read it, that's fine. And it's just, I've got it and it's and it's written down on paper and it's there and I can put it on my on my shelf, you know. But um, it, it, it obviously developed into something more than that. The energy was 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 helping me. I was, I was being helped to put that together. I was being helped to, uh, yeah, I, I had a co-writer work with me who, who was a friend that I'd, that I'd known for years. And again, synchronicity, she came back into my life. And so that was good because I would not been able to have done this with my dyslexia. I would not been able to have written a whole book. So she helped me just structure a lot of, a lot of it and with, you know, grammar and things like that which i'm not familiar with but um and uh, but neither of us thought it was going to be anything big she'd never written a book before in her life either so you know it was just it, it, and it happened and um again as i say there was no end game just like with my paintings and my music I, the, it was all very organic and it was just coming right from within and that's yeah. that's that's where that's, that's the most important thing i think so Let's talk. Let's talk about that. So there's uh, the the story doesn't just end at the near death experience. Um, there's this whole series of events that happened after you had undergone that, um, which is your venture into music and and to painting. Can you um, sort of uh, kind of talk us through how you became an artist and how um, you started composing music as a result of the near death experience? Sure. This is my favorite part. <laughs> 
Great. Well, um, well, the well, the paintings came first, and, and in fact, almost immediately. It was like when I was recovering in hospital after I'd had the first operation, which was about eight hours of surgery. I remember I was just lying in this room on my own that they'd given me, and I, I just got this R two D two machine bleeping next to me in the dark, <laughs> and I was first of all I was, I was thinking about what had happened, contemplating the whole thing, the accident, and dealing with that, and thinking, wow, <laughs> what happened there, but. More importantly, I was dealing with the fact that I just had this incredible experience. And I thought, I was scared I was going to forget all that. I was scared. I thought, how am I going to tell the world about this? Everyone needs to know about this. It was really important to me. So I thought, I know, I'm going to do a painting. And I'd done nothing like this before. I thought, it's got to be a huge, like, Renaissance-style, biblical scene painting. You know, like those ones you see that Michelangelo Mm. does, you know. It's got to be big and epic. So I I decided straight from the off that's what I was going to do. And um, so I started sketching. My sister came in the very first night. She said, is there anything I can get you before she left? I said, yeah, can you get me a little sketch pad and a a pencil? And she was going, okay. So the nurses propped me up in bed and I just did these very faint sketches of what I'd seen in the afterlife. And that became my first Mm -hmm. painting. And um, I was apprehensive about starting it because I didn't want to make a mess of this. This, It was too important. But... I did get a, a huge canvas, and once I started painting, it started coming alive almost instantaneously on this on this canvas. And I realised I was being helped. I realised that the painting that was starting to evolve was more than just me. You know, there was. I realised that this this I felt like I'd got this umbilical cord attached to this other realm still, and they were just sending this energy through and giving me a crash course lesson in how to paint people and skin tones and all those different things. So. Um, yeah, and again, synchronicity. I, I'd met some uh, friends of my sister's who who run like a local Pilates yoga center, and they said, look, we've got a studio space that's going for a week because we're doing decorations and renovations. You can use it to do your painting. So I said, great. So I started doing the very first painting in that studio, and of course, by the end of that first week, I was nowhere near finished. But they said, that's okay. You know, we'll just move you around, and you can stay here. We're not going to charge you because I was broke. And um, mm-hmm. I stayed there for two years in the end. And they were, you know, I was so blessed. I mean, they're brilliant friends now, of course. And uh, and I was just so prolific, prolific after that. I couldn't stop painting. So I just con- continued to paint what I'd seen in my experience. And uh, people were coming up who were coming in for the yoga Pilates sessions. And I became known as the artist in the attic. And they used to come and look at my paintings. And I'd explain everything that was going on. And I realized that people were very interested and fascinated and to hear about this story so I thought this is great people do want to know about this um but the music that's even more amazing because you know that came through spiritual healing actually and uh, uh, I was when I was having the healing sessions some of the healers are clairvoyant and they would just give short messages afterwards you know they'd say oh I was you know I'd see I was seeing like an image of light coming through or whatever in there but that uh, they kept saying, oh, why am I seeing a violin laid across your chest? Why am I hearing Beethoven and Wagner and all these different things? And I said, I've got no idea. You know, I know nothing about classical music, which I didn't. And um, suddenly, one of them turned around and said, um, look, you're going to write, they're telling me you're going to write a piece of music about your experience. I went, great. So I went home and I pulled this old cheap synthesizer out that the, the loft had started trying to write what I thought was going to be a three-minute song because that's all I knew, you know, and it wasn't happening. And then something came through, something came through to me, some, an idea, and this beautiful chord progression. 
I say it's beautiful because I knew it wasn't mine. It was it was being sent from somewhere else. And all I got was an old little cassette recorder. And I just recorded the opening chords uh, onto that. And I started developing it. And I'd met a cello player who used to come and see me paint. And uh, we used to meet for coffees. And she said to me one day, oh, how's it going? What are you up to at the moment? So I told her about this piece of music. And I said, it feels like it should be more than a song. It feels like it should be, uh, you know, a symphony. And she said, well, maybe we could perform it one day. I thought, that'd be great. So I developed it and got it so uh, ready, you know, to that point. In fact, I my brother said, look, I've got this piece of software that you can attach to your computer. And uh, when you play the, you know, the keyboard, uh, it will transpose it into musical notation. So that's what I did. And I still can't read or write music to this day, but I managed to get it to the point where I got a hop, the whole first movement together for a symphony. And I took yeah. it to the orchestra. And they looked at it and they said, yeah, okay, we'll do it. So, <laughs> to my astonishment, uh, I'd got um, a premiere performance of, of a symphony based on my near-death experience, uh, all queued up and ready to go. What, um, what did that feel like to know that your music was being played by a symphony it was it was a well it i won't a lot of it was very exciting um but also very daunting at the same time because i remember turning up to the very first rehearsal and walking in there and seeing this orchestra who were ready and waiting and and orchestras they're lovely people but i mean they're very highly educated you know and and very middle class as we say in the uk and and i wasn't from that that arena at all so it was like i was being thrown straight into it i thought wow and i remember the conductor saying oh the composer's here and i was going no no i'm not the composer you know it's just You're me like, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he said david can you step forward and tell us about your piece and i i said i was bottling it i said no 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 please it's no come on so i did so i stepped up and spoke to this orchestra and once i started talking about the whole near-death experience and the music and what it was all about. Suddenly I was being helped and the strength came through and everyone was captivated and it was just like, okay, that's great. Now I've got that out of the way. How's it going to sound? Because I've got no idea. And I stepped back Mm. and I will never forget that experience because as soon as the strings came in and the conductor's back came down, it was like, wow. It was like a three-dimensional sound it was just everything that i had been hearing in my head and those little chords i played on that cheap synthesizer were now coming out of an orchestra and it's, oh i would recommend it to everyone it's it's a beautiful experience and i just thought yeah. yes it works it works so yeah so it was pretty spectacular you yeah. you were explaining um really did a good job in the book of explaining kind of the difference between what a, a musician experiences and what somebody that um plays uh, classical music in an, in an orchestra experiences like uh, i i've been in bands all my life just just like you have in, in punk rock bands and you're rehearsing and you're rehearsing you're trying to get this thing right to where it almost becomes like muscle memory yeah but yeah you were explaining that to these musicians that are playing in this in this uh, orchestra like they're trained to read music yeah totally. and sometimes they only pick it up once or twice and they're just they just hit the ground running with it you know? oh, totally absolutely you know that was it i mean um i couldn't get my head around that because when i stood up and and spoke to them uh, at the rehearsals i would try and explain 
I'd say, look, can you play it like this? You know, um, you know, I, I want these opening chords to sound like Marla's Fifth Symphony or something that I'd heard on the radio. And the conductor turned around to me when we were having a coffee and he said, look, you don't do that to an orchestra. You don't explain what you want. It's all written in the score and that's all they follow. They don't listen to what you're saying. So I thought, okay, that's interesting. And uh, so it took me a while to get my head around that. But I really love the idea that... that that it's all there it's, they can just take it from they, they i mean they express themselves beautifully you know the sounds of you know they're mm. all very sensitive souls but it's it's really interesting how they can just take it from not only that i mean when i first had the first meeting with the, the key members of the orchestra and the conductor to show them the mute they said i said shall i bring a cassette along of you know what i've done on my synthesizer i said no no we don't need that we just want to look at the score and they could tell <laughs> just by reading it how it was going to sound which was i found astonishing and I still yeah, to this day, incredible. isn't it? Just especially as somebody that like, especially someone that like hasn't been in bands back in the day. It's like, how do you, how do you know what the vision is or the feeling is? And they just start reading the music. And I still to this day, David, I don't, I can't, I can't read music either. Yes. And when right, I get yeah, behind my MIDI, when I get so. behind my, when I get behind my MIDI controller and I'm playing playing music, I, 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 I can't read music. It just goes, I just go off of a feeling. Yeah. You know. So when you, uh, I wanted to talk about because um, I, as, as a musician, I'm really compelled by. Um, the, the compositions because they're beautiful they're gorgeous mm -hmm. like they're, they're really yeah. really really Incredible. amazing I, I i i've actually let a few other people listen to them and wanted to gather their experience and they they really loved it as well but the the synthesizer the one the very first one that you got was it one of those ones that they give to kids with the battery that says like yamaha on it or was it like a, like a yeah yeah like what was yeah, it like a roland i've still got it it's called a quai and it's Spanish, and it's, uh, and, it's, and it's so light and plastic that it is. It's like a kid's sort of throwaway thing. But it, it, it was great. The reason I, I loved it, because it had all these cheap sort of uh, sounds that sounded like instruments from an orchestra. You know, you'd have like a horn yeah. sound, and it'd say French horn, but it'd sound more like a sort of, you know, like a, like a wasp like that, that flying over around your head, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't matter, because I got to the point where I knew... Uh, you know what was going on i could roughly hear how everything was going to work and how it was all going to come together because i was hearing sound you know i've been like i was talking about when i was doing the painting as i was helping you know i was being channeling ideas to how to paint the same thing was happening when i was writing the music i was hearing all these different sounds like i remember hearing a horn sound i thought it sounds like a distant horn from a, from the blown from somebody on a horse or something like that and then I, I, my brother said to me, you know, he helped me out. And he said on, on that, he said, no, what you want there, that's called a French horn. I was going, okay, brilliant, a French horn. So that's what that sound is. So, and I just started developing all these things. And then I got to the point where I realized that, that an orchestra is like, it's like a rich palette of colors. You know, you've got all these textures that you can add and you can just pack it out and fill it out. But um, yeah. But yeah, going back to it, yes, it was a very cheap. It wasn't even. I mean, you'll uh, you'll know about MIDI keyboards, won't you? Obviously, with yeah, being yeah. a musician, this wasn't to... even MIDI. You know, it was just like that old. <laughs> it was just very. That's why all I had was a, was a cassette recorder, and I just laid it up yeah. on the cassette recorder, just kept playing all the bits and pieces backwards and forwards, and thinking, right, I hope this all works. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I, I, did, I did catch your MIDI control on your using. I think it's like an M Audio. Um, uh, Key 40, uh, oh, that's what I've got 49? now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's yeah. Right. So I've I got a MIDI same... keyboard now. I've moved on from from the the. I've still got that faithful old Spanish synthesizer will stay with me, you know, because it's an old friend. I never use it, but but yeah, I've got like a um, like a, a an audio thing that I use now, and I use you know an updated package on my laptop for for 
developing the music which obviously it's it's great it just makes life a lot more simple and and i've got sounds now that sound a lot more like the instruments of an orchestra when i'm when i'm building up so because i'm working on a new piece at the moment actually and so it's a lot yeah yeah so yeah so that's my next uh new piece of music obviously with uh with covid it's going to be it's taken time you know how we're going to do this because the orchestras are struggling to get together and uh and rehearse even you know let alone perform but yeah but it will come together yeah that's the next stage of the of my journey yeah yeah what a journey to go from a three-chord punk rock band to writing a symphony i mean it's pretty incredible and that that just goes to show this is among the many examples in your book of how source plays such a huge role i mean you literally had no experience in painting or writing orchestras and you were able to create the impossible you know and what another person would say like oh that's totally impossible i don't know how to do that and yeah. um, through channeling these messages you were able to create and it's just it's incredible i mean that it, the overarching theme of the book um is is that and it's just wow what a beautiful story thank yeah. you so much yeah yeah well I, yeah. I think as i said when i said about it, when i first came back to the hospital after the nde that i thought what is my task what am i supposed to do at first i thought i was going to be a you know a healer or <clears throat> i was going to help people but i wasn't really that wasn't really i was obviously I, I realized now that my task is to sort of explain my story through painting and music and and now through the book and talking about it you know so it's so that's literally what developed for me and i, I guess for everyone it's a, it's a different story you know we all got all these different hidden things that are, are within us that we don't realize are there that we haven't tapped into you know you know you, it, you don't actually have to have a, a, a near-death experience to find these things you know i think that's very mm-hmm. something that i'm really keen to, to point out you know i mean you you read these stories you read these stories where you've got guys who worked on wall street for for for, for years and then they burn out and they say right i'm going to move out and buy a farm in the middle of the of the country and 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 raise you know animals and stuff and they do and they become they they they, they find their true goal that's been that was within them all the time to be near to nature or whatever you know and so yeah so that was that was my destiny and so was to discover all those hidden things that I I hadn't even come anywhere anywhere near to tapping into uh, at all which. <laughs> So yeah, it's all about being authentic to yourself and discovering all those things within. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy how synchronistic all of that is. Because without, you know, the near-death experience, you wouldn't have had, you know, the music. Without, you know, that experience, you wouldn't have had the artwork. And then without all of those things collectively, even people, even the people that you come into contact with, leading up to that point, yeah. you wouldn't have even gone to the the book. So you yes. talked about earlier about how this is sort of the divine orchestration actually happening yeah. and everything is so carefully placed so that you could share this experience. Um, the one thing that I gathered though, um, after you had an NDE is you can get this sort of sense of a culture shock that takes place uh, between you and your friends and your family. Mm-hmm. And I get the sense that you were somewhat introverted type and your friends were sort of more extroverted or at least uh, the way that you had spoken about them. Yeah. There's a line um, where you're talking about Anna and her boyfriend um, with Jimmy and you're like well how did she know that about the concert and he's like because I told her about it Mozart you know they always sort of have these like little quippy lines um, yeah. that they're they're talking to you about that kind of set this precedence that like they're they're still attached to that world and they may, may very well be a big part of your life but yeah. you know they're still they're 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 running on a level of understanding that maybe at that point they don't understand yet so what was that uh what was that that 
that that transition like? Was it hard to remain in contact with the people that were a part of your life, or did you find it easier to connect with them more after you had that experience? Um, generally speaking, I found it quite easy to connect with everybody because I because I was filled with so much love, not just for myself, but for everybody around me. And, uh, you know, and I loved them even more. So there was no sense of, of, oh, that person no longer belongs in my life or anything like that. You know, with, you know, certain people have, have drifted apart from me, but that's only natural. That happens with time with all of us. And especially if you move to a different city, you know, because I no longer live in London and, and most of those friends still live there, you know, or, or have left London and moved somewhere else. But we all keep in touch. Um, I mean, interestingly enough, uh, Matt and Jimmy, I realised looking back that they were very, they were rightly placed in their lives. They were comfortable in their skins. They were, you know, we, we all had the same kind of like jobs. We were working on construction sites and we were doing manual labouring. But they, Matt and Jimmy were really good at it and they fitted into that world. And I never did. I was never any good at that kind of work. So... And they knew it as well. They used to sort of constantly, you know, jiving me about how slow I was and uh, at that kind of <laughs> stuff, you know. And of course, when my life turned around and I was like, they came to the concert and they were kind of like laughing at me even then saying, what are you doing? You know, you're writing music for an orchestra. But they, they got it yeah. and they supported me. So I love them for that, you know. Uh, I, just, my- I just imagine it's almost... I just imagine it's like uh, like your friends because I have a lot of like uh, male friends and they sort of like kind of like to poke fun at each other, you know, exactly. as a way to maybe not not be yeah. too external with their feelings, yeah. you know. And you mentioned it kind of in the book where it's like you know they they, they talk and they, they try and avoid eye contact. I know what that's like when you're trying to connect with your your guys, and you're you know it's kind of reluctant to be a little too too emotional with them so they they kind of have this way of connecting where they're sort of like poking fun at you and stuff like that yeah. and I can, I can definitely feel that connection that you have um um with your friends in that way but what's the one thing that i really enjoy about your character in the book and who you are um just in real life is that you're, you're a very humble person mm-hmm. a lot of people after they have a near-death experience um some people will just dive headfirst into the new age stuff and they will push all of those people out of their life that don't resonate with that that narrative and that story Mm -hmm. you know um people that have you know they've drank with at bars and people that they party with somehow they they take this 180 turn and just pick one side and um that that's that's something that you integrating yeah integrating the experience into your your current life and then you know still like you said expanding the love that you had for those people um before and how it was exponentially so much more and I, i wanted to ask about this about anna specifically um it seemed like through the book you really struggled. I mean, it's clear that there was love there, right? But you really mm-hmm. struggled with communicating that love to her. Yeah. Um, what happened to her? Are you guys still together or, or not? <laughs> well, um, first off, Anna, is, <laughs> it, she's a very private person. So I've kind of made a, a, a deal with her that, that I'd not, I don't talk too much about her and because she'd okay. like me not to. But secondly, for people who haven't read the book, which I'm hoping people who haven't will go ahead and read it. I don't want to give any, yeah. too many spoilers about you know how, <laughs> how the relationship goes because it's a very key part of it as, as, as you guys know because you've seen because it's, you know, yeah, I, I did. I mean, one thing I will talk about is is I did struggle with her because she was the first real thing to come in my life, you know, and uh, and I just I was scared of that, you know. I was like, 
I was not running away from it, but I just didn't know how to deal with it um, because mm-hmm. the guy I was before was, was, like I said, I was an actor. You know, I was always acting, trying to be, this, you know, and I was used to that. I was used to being in relationships where I was trying to act my way through it. But with her, I couldn't act because she was so, I don't know, she was just the first authentic and real person or organic person is the best way to describe her to come into my life. And that scared me. So and and I know that's not you know a, a, an awful lot of people have faced that in their lives. Uh, uh, you know that's again, I don't claim to be you know the first for that to happen to. And I think again that's why people can relate to the story because it's um, something that's quite real. Oh, yeah, yeah. Every yeah. opportunity you had, so many opportunities to pour your heart out to her, and you didn't do it. I was like, <laughs> what the? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, come yeah. on. I know. Yeah, we were totally rooting for you for sure. Yeah, we were. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, you were talking about like uh, what Jan was talking about, like this newfound sort of understanding of love. That's how you can, at least I can really tell in the book that it's like this unconditional love because you didn't pick a side. You came back and you were able to just meet people where they were and uh, practice that unconditional love and acceptance for other people. And I think that's the you kind of get the real sense that you had experienced something really profound because uh, it it wasn't polarizing for you, you know. Sure. Um, Yeah, it was something really intense. Yeah, interestingly enough, though, I mean, I, I will say that um, uh, I did hit a low point probably six months in after I come back. And I think that was, well, I know why that was. And that's because, you know, I think this is quite common as well with people who've had NDEs. You know, you probably guys will know yourself that you just, when you come back, you're so filled with all this love uh, that, and you're just radiating it and giving it out that you realize that the, the society isn't doesn't work like that and so uh i mean obviously i had to go through there was a lot of legal stuff involved because of the accident itself because it was a a national rail sort of incident and so once i was into that arena i realized that um it was hard that hard for me to to deal with that because the whole legal setup is is all about trying to strip you down and you know oh it's oh yeah it it sucks (laughs) it's it's so it's so wrong and it's just so immoral and 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 i suddenly fell apart you know and i just thought i can't i can't deal with this so the therapy helped me through that one you know but so so yeah so it wasn't all sort of me just coming back just you know my life is totally fixed all at once you know i had to do an awful lot of learning to realize that how to armor myself up if you like to deal with 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 the world and it's not this beautiful place and well it is actually that that's wrong the world is beautiful and 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 stuff but you know you do have to know how to be able to ride over the the surface of um you know of of yeah. people who are out to just pull your dad's dog that's that Seems like you had to like free up some space uh, in order to like really, really fully accept that. I, like in, in um, I guess our, we talk a lot about this too in our podcast, which is like the dark night of the soul yes. and people experience it through a near death experience and people experience it on mystical meditation, plant medicine, where it's like you get this really peak experience of source just flowing through your body. And it's an undeniable sense of unconditional love. And then at some point you have to come back and it doesn't necessarily mean um, having to die and then come back, but you know, you could uh, have a really spiritual profound experience and, and healing a session and have to come back and, and, people um this is the one thing that we 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 talk a lot about because it's so important because the the first instinct that people have is that once they have an experience like that things are just going to be perfect for now on yeah mm-hmm. um but they have to reintegrate into society and there's exactly. the, this sort of dark night of the soul that happens where all of a sudden 
there's parts of you that that sources that that unconditional love is kind of pulling through and it's almost becomes a process of subtraction mm. you 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 automatically identify what it is that you need to let go of all the ways in which you're not loving yourself and it's almost like creating space inside of your heart so that you could like fully embody and, and get to that unconditional love that you were at before and at least for me wearing my experience it was very much like that where it was like you you experience this beauty and this love and you want to stay there but then you come back to reality and you have to still go to work the next day yeah. you know and you yeah. you you deal dealing with bills and and being a responsible adult and it's a really difficult thing to kind of move through so i think um for me it became more about balance like how do i create balance and integrate this love with the the world that we currently live in mm. you know and i i think that was like a huge a huge piece um with uh, integrating was uh, just really filtering through a lot of that the density that I was carrying along, yeah. you know, and yeah. working through that. That's that's great, brilliantly described. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and with, no, it is. That's great. It was really well articulated, and I, I agree with you on that. Um, yeah, one thing I actually learned actually through my therapist was uh, was you know the, any depression or, or hardship that you're carrying within you. Don't try to just throw it to one side and, and move out of it, you know. Stay with it and, and almost nurture it, if you like, and, 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 and just allow it to slowly move. Because everything will pass eventually, you know, out of all adversity comes, you know, new life, if you like. You know, I mean, that'd be, that, that's what I've been saying for this past year, you know, with the whole pandemic situation, that I, so many people, it drove a lot of people into panic and fear and stuff. And, um, you know... I just thought, no, yeah, that I, I felt right at the beginning of the pandemic, I actually felt the earth almost like jolted to it, to it and went, whoa, you know, what's just happened? The energy shift was amazing and it was huge. Yeah. And, and of course, there's an awful lot of, you know, a lot of, we've, we've lost a lot of people and, uh, you know, I had three members of my family were had contracted COVID and so it was very frightening. But I knew that, that, that there would be, well, we're not out of it yet, but out of this will come, some goodness will come out of this as well, you know, because it's it's yeah. that's that happens in all cases in everything and that's what you learn don't you you learn that you know it, these everything will pass and everything will, will slowly move on yeah. yeah i like that you mentioned that because um we were talking about um the dark night of the soul me and jen talk about it too where it's like this covid this this thing became a collective sort of awakening for a lot of people because exactly. we were pushed into this lifestyle that we all weren't a lot of people weren't familiar with a lot yeah. of people went out partying a lot of people went to shows a lot of people had their things that they do yeah. but because of covid we were sort of forced in a lot of ways to sit with ourselves mm -hmm. and spend a lot of time doing what you know all, all three of us probably do on a regular basis which sure. is take time for ourselves mm -hmm. and really tap into that and i can tell just in when i interact with my friends now or with my family that there's this newfound sense of like almost like a baseline oneness where it's like this Absolutely. thing put us all on an even playing field yeah. we, we all became the same yeah. because mm -hmm. we don't have our careers and things like that that separate us now it's like for for you know that that's the that's the the transformation that i feel it's like whoa we're all in this kind of together and you feel that sense of unity in some ways that's yeah. right and yeah. for for artists like yourself you know you had plenty of time to sit with yourself and create so i think at the end of all this is going to be a renaissance of music and art and wonderful things as a result of people being able to slow down and kind of disconnect from their habits and their everyday life to focus more on on what fills their soul yeah so most certainly That's we'll it. see 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah and we'll it see. sounds like you're working on something new. So I'm really excited yeah, to hear what that yeah. is. So oh, yeah. One- yeah. <laughs> There's always something new coming from me. I mean, because from that first concert I did, I was immediately sort of um, commissioned to write a- another piece for somebody else. And so I've, I've written quite a few since. So. But this has been really special to me because I feel like there's been there's been space and energy uh, to be able to write this. And it's also come out of the energy of the book being released as well because I didn't anticipate talking to so many people like yourselves, you know, as, as I have been. And um, funnily enough, uh, be, because the book came out last, last June and I remember this time last year, I was thinking my, my book's going to be coming out and we're just entering into a pandemic. What's going to happen to the book? But I didn't... I didn't fear it. I didn't worry about it. I thought it'll find its, its its true journey, and if it's meant to where it's meant to go, it will go. And interestingly enough, it actually helped me because it, it meant that I wasn't I didn't have to jump on a plane and fly out to to New York or LA to do interviews. I could just stay at home and speak to people throughout the world and just do Zoom interviews or whatever we're doing now and just reach out to lots and lots of people and talk about my story and whether people buy the book or not it doesn't matter it's just great to be able to sort of spread the spread the news and it, and it kind of it gave me a new sense of purpose to this new piece that I'm writing it just made me it just brought it alive and it just kind of sprinkled more energy on it than that would have been there before I guess so yeah I'm quite excited yeah. about this one so you mentioned in the book, of course, that you weren't so much of a spiritual person, which made this a lot more relatable for me, right? Because um, we a lot of people tend to get, um, uh, I want to say, distracted by their beliefs uh, whenever somebody has an experience. So a lot of it is driven by what their belief system is, whether they're Christian or, or Buddha. But the fact that you were seemed kind of agnostic made it um, seem a lot more authentic. So um, coming from uh, somebody that didn't necessarily have a spiritual denomination that you followed yeah. to having that experience... Now, in retrospect, did that change your relationship to, say, Christ or Buddha or a lot of these worldly yeah. religions that people follow? It did do, yeah. Um, I, I actually had, I remember when I was um, having spiritual healing uh, one, one evening, I was just having this healing session. And, you know, I was very, at the very early stages, I was very, I was connecting very much with that other element that I'd just been to in the healing sessions. Well, I still do, mm-hmm. but it was a lot more profound at the beginning. And there was one evening I was laid out, I was being healed by two healers, and I saw an image of Christ, actually, who was just like hovering above me as I was being healed. And he just looked so pure and healthy, and he was wearing like this white tunic. And uh, and so when the healing session finished, we were all sat around chatting and stuff. And uh, and I and then I didn't say anything. Then one of the healers said, David, Christ was with you when I healed you. I could see him at your side, and then he was behind me giving me energy. I was going, no way. I just I saw him as well. What so, of course, I had to go. <laughs> yeah, so I painted him. So I went home and, and did a painting of, of Christ. And uh, so, I, so yeah, I firmly, yeah. Yeah. I believe that, yeah, I, I, that opened me up to thinking a lot more about Christ and his existence and um, his teaching. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I've since learned an awful lot about his teachings, and they make so much sense. They're just incredible, you know. And this is a guy that, yeah. that was... Uh, you know, around 2,000 years ago, years ago, coming out with all this profound knowledge, which is so beautiful. And uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it's almost like... I, I don't really... I mean, I don't... I don't feel uh, that... I, I don't follow any churches, if you like. I don't go to a church um, at all. I go I go to the spiritualist church, but that's literally for healing. So I guess that is my, my church, because that's... I, I, you know, 
when lockdown's not on or whatever, you know, I go every week. And, and I feel that's my way of connecting with, with God and the universe and, and with Christ and with yeah. the whole thing. You know, that's my way of connecting. So that's my church, if you like. But I don't really feel comfortable with uh, sitting through a service um, because I think I don't, I don't, churches are great and I think a lot of people who run churches and go to churches are really lovely people and they're, and they're just like myself are keen to sort of connect with source you know but I don't agree with it all not all the teachings that feel right to me you know there's a, there's a there tends to be an awful lot of emphasis on on guilt and shame attached to a lot of faith which I don't I don't feel comfortable with yeah. because for me that's not what it's about for me that that what i've learned from my near-death experiences it's you know it's all about love and it's and you're not going to be judged there is no sense of judgment you know as to whether you're going upstairs or downstairs you know it's just we're, we're all we're all accepted and we're all loved ultimately that's what i feel yeah it's like you're using love as like the guidepost and all of a sudden from that perspective uh, everything everything becomes about the same thing. Like when I look at Buddhism and Christianity and, and Hinduism, I just look at the border, like the underlying sort of underpinning behind that, which is love. Yeah. And now suddenly I'm able to pick up on not, not this sort of like uh, that, that, that fundamental sort of Christianity, sort of like you're, 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 you're taking the Bible so literal, you're looking at the, the baseline sort of energy of Jesus's work, which is just a simple loving energy. Same thing with like, with Buddha, you know, but the, the one thing that I love about your story is that it was almost your openness. And I wouldn't want to say it was a, a naivety with spirituality, but you know, you decided on a whim to go to this, this, uh, this psychic, um, not knowing anything, um, about it. And sure. also you were open enough to, um, healing work. So it's almost like your, your willingness to be open, um, kind of took you kind of further down the path and say somebody that maybe was, uh, really hard lined into like, christianity or catholicism you know like you yeah. you uh, you were able to be more open um with with that experience mm. absolutely and i thought it was really interesting how many people's minds you changed right you know talking to your therapist that was more science-based and really was having a hard time with the whole nd concept until after you know spending time with her and yeah. I know that she believed you, you know, and yeah. it, I'm sure that that sparked a curiosity in her to investigate a little bit more about NDEs. Mm. So, and, and your sister too, who in the book sounded so supportive of you and every single phase of your life kind of had that same kind of scientific belief of like, well, I don't know, I don't know about this, but it did sound like in the end, you, you were able to change everyone's mind about the experience. <laughs> well, I kind of I've never really set out to change anybody's mind, but uh, I, I always say to everybody, look, here's my story. This is what happened. This is what I saw and what I felt, and it's up to you whether you take it on board or not. You know, um, mm -hmm. but generally speaking, people, I'm surprised how many people are are interested to hear about it. Um, because mm -hmm. I guess, like I say, nobody really thinks about death. So if I'm talking about death and, and I'm bringing up a subject and everyone knows what happened to me, that I was pulled under a train and, and ultimately everyone around me is amazed that I survived that. So people are kind of interested to, to hear what I've got to say, um, uh, mm -hmm. I guess. Uh, I mean, yeah, of course, there are scientists who are going to argue against that point and say, oh, you know, it's, you know, it's or whatever their point of view is. That, that but... What I'd say is with science, yes, like I said earlier, without science, I wouldn't be here physically, so it saved me. But we have to remember with science that, that 
they're constantly looking for scientific equations for everything, but they're they're always yeah. still touching the surface. In, in surface, if you like, in in terms of the universe, they're only just about to discover small amounts of things. The, the universe is a huge, mm-hmm. vast thing, you know, that they're only starting to understand. Um, and uh, if people turn around to me and say, well, there's no scientific sort of equation for a near-death experience or the afterlife, you know, or the brain uh, sort of you know, continuing to, to carry on or what have you, you know. And I say, but there's no scientific equation for love. But we don't question that, do we? We don't turn around and say, ah, there's no scientific equation for love, so, for, so therefore love does not exist. We accept it because we all experience it at some point in our lives and so we don't question it but maybe we should if we're gonna if we're gonna question uh you know something like a near-death experience or the afterlife itself so yeah that's how i feel i love that that's such a great point i never thought about it like that (laughs) you're 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 doing a lot of um i've noticed you do um some of these like near-death experience summits with a lot of people online that's right yeah and you're doing uh, like public speaking and stuff like that um what is it like um you know, uh, being talking amongst a lot of these different people that have experienced um, these type of things in this way, do you still feel that sense of uh, kind of nervousness when speaking to large groups of people or, um, you know, uh, sharing that experience at all? Um, I don't really. I mean, you know, I always feel that sense of just before uh, an interview or, or a summit or whatever that's it's 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 a bit like doing a gig you know you just get those yeah. kind of pre-gig nerves where you just think all oh, right has this is this is this going to be the one that's all gonna all the cards are going to come tumbling <laughs> down and i'm not going to be able to explain <laughs> myself properly and but generally speaking that's not the case and and people who are close to me and know me well are really amazed when they when they watch my interviews they're going they don't say, oh, wow, you're amazing. We haven't seen you like this before. What they're saying is, interestingly enough, is, is that we're seeing a side of you that we didn't know existed, and, but it's authentically you. It's just you. And, and it's, it's, it's the whole, you know, it's not like an act. It's, 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 a, it's a you that we didn't know was there because I was always quite shy and would never have done anything like this. In fact, when the book came out, I would have shied away from doing even one interview and I was dreading the high idea of even... Yeah. talking about the book but since i've been doing it it's been fine it's come together and um, in terms of the summits i mean I'm, I'm doing one actually this year um which is going to be there's some big speakers on there there's a uh, eben alexander peter panagora and uh trisha barker is hosting it and she's amazing and uh, it's when i've done them before it's it's great because you're talking with all these people and we have like a, the one, the last one I did, we had like a virtual green room, if you like. So we were all talking yeah. just before we started and we all, we all had fun and we all chatted and you kind of like, you reach this moment of sort of like affirmation, if you like, because you start sharing uh, experiences and how you, just funny little things like, you know, somebody said to me things like, oh, you know, when you're in hospital, did you get were you full of static electricity? I was going, yeah, I was totally charged with it. I said that <laughs> the guys couldn't even come anywhere near my bed. You know, whenever they had to wheel me into theatre, they were, they were jumping like, whoa, you know, this guy's alive with, <laughs> with electricity. So all little things like that, you know, little anecdotes that we would share. So it's, it makes you feel, because you know, I've never looked for confirmation out of this because, you know, I'm not looking for that. But affirmation is a different thing and affirmation is really lovely because you just think oh yeah that's great you know that's brilliant you know that you felt that too yeah it's almost like you're part of like a community and yes. i don't know if it was your intention but no. <laughs> um, obviously there's a responsibility there's a responsibility that you had to 
write the book and, and share in the vulnerable way that you did. But um, are you, do you have an interest in, 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 in teaching, like as a teacher? I mean, I guess this would kind of be considered as that. Like, mm-hmm. is, is that something that you, mm-hmm. outside of like the, the art and um, the music, is this something that you plan on? Um, maybe in how I imagine this integrated, I see sometimes people will decide to work in hospice. You know, sure. they decide to work with uh, people that have terminally ter- terminal illness and speaking with people that are about to transition. Have you thought about using your experience in that way? Yeah, um, I have actually. In fact, I did. I was, um, I was. This happened. I was asked to go out and um, to a retreat in the south of France, where the where and it was a last minute thing. They that I was asked to do it, so I didn't even have time to think about it. And uh, I said, yeah, I agreed straight away because it sounded great. And uh, basically, I was working with, uh, I was talking to a group of women who were on the retreat, and they were all end-of-life doulas. I don't know if you've heard of them before. Yeah. And doulas are just basically helping people to pass, you know, mainly in hospices and stuff like that. They're helping them with their spiritual journey to move on. So they asked me to go out and and talk about my my near-death experience to them. And what I do spend a whole day chatting and do like a master class and we'll do whatever I wanted to do so I said yeah I'll tell you what I'll do I'll talk in the morning about my experience to them all and show them my paintings and play my music and then in the afternoon we'll do like a sort of uh, a class uh, like a master class in painting so that's what we did and I and that went brilliantly I just it was I never thought I'd be able to do it again it was a new venture for me and I was helped so the afternoon came and, and I was out there and I just we were all sat in the beautiful sunshine in the south of France in the middle of nowhere and i just said right can you all just paint or draw what you feel the afterlife looks like to you now after i've done my talk or what you think your guardian angels would look like and everybody turned around and said i can't i can't draw i can't paint i've never been able to not since school i said it doesn't matter just let it come out and the the work that came out of that was beautiful you know there's some beautiful images and not just that they were just so happy with what they developed that they couldn't believe it themselves they're going i can't believe that i've just this has come i don't know where this came from they were saying i said well that's that's coming from your authentic inner soul you know so yeah so so that's so there you go so that was my first venture into that and that is beautiful yeah what a a beautiful way to help people alleviate the fear that is around death right and kind of show them a positive aspect like oh this is not a thing to be feared this is a thing you know a place of love so yeah eric actually was an end of life doula oh yeah Yeah. not with that not with that uh title but yeah yeah it was a part of a it was a program called no one dies alone and uh, jen is also a nurse she she's a nurse and she had she had a lot of experience with sitting with people that were transitioning but i i worked in um, a few hospices out here in pasadena california and then in glendale california and a lot of that happened after my own near-death experience and um um and it led me down that path because i'd felt that sort of unconditional love that you were talking about and one thing that was really uh, I, I struggled with in my life was that fear of death like it, it, I carried it with me for a long time yeah. when I was young and as a youth. And when I had that experience and, and felt that sort of uh, unconditional love from source, um, I was so shocked. I was like, I was so, I was so taken back by this experience because I realized that that, that fear of death that I had wasn't really justified. Like it, it was just sort of like an illusion. So um, I started actually volunteering at these hospices, sitting along with these patients and I got 
really into you know uh, afterlife studies and things like that and it makes me think of uh, this talk that I watched by Ram Das where it's like uh-huh. when you're sitting when you're sitting with somebody that that's dying mm. you know nurses nurses and doctors they're trained to do one thing which is keep you alive mm-hmm. you know and sure. and a lot of them aren't so so maybe you might find some that are versed in spirituality but uh, there's legal repercussions in them having to explain stuff like that so they can't really tread into that water so there's nobody really telling them the reality of what they're experiencing what they're hearing is everything's going to be okay everything's going to be fine but somebody really needs to come in there and say look like it's 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 not it it, you're dying there's nothing wrong with what you're experiencing this is a very very natural process and there needs to be somebody that can hold space with them and almost not that in Ram Dass actually calls it like a celebration. Oh, we should all just celebrate. We're going to have a good time. We're going to, Alan Watts talks a lot about this too, which is like, you know, we're one of the only nations that, you know, uh, sort of has this almost fear of death, like in India and Philippines, like they, they have this sort of celebration, this sort of commemoration of life, Mm -hmm. but we don't necessarily really have that here. So I, I I just felt compelled to at least want to help change the narrative and make people a little bit more, uh, fearless of yeah. that experience because it wasn't a scary experience for me you know so mm-hmm. yeah it, it it was a really powerful experience to to sit with um somebody that's about to transition oh you know? i'm sure i'm sure it must be yeah um um and i lost my mother uh, 18 months ago and it i mean i wasn't there at her side when she passed but um, when i turned up at the hospital hospital just after she had I was able to help her, I hope anyway, that help her soul sort of leave her body and, and finally move on. And uh, and I'd learned that from that retreat in France, actually, because it was actually run by um, uh, these people who are funeral directors, but they were, the way they went about um, the, their work was just... Oh, it's fantastic! You know, they just they spent they they we they went through a reenactment actually of, of what they do, and they they you know they they had one of the one of the girls who was on there who would volunteer to be the person that was that had just passed, and and they spent the whole night sort of balming the body and and helping the soul to to slowly move on, and and then they were they were chanting and singing and candles lit. It was just incredibly moving and very very beautiful, and so that in a very very crude way i guess because i didn't have time because in in the hospital i i, I helped my mum. you know i just remember sort of slowly moving my my hands over her arms and stuff and just helping her to move on and just move that transition to the next stage i remember talking to her i said mom you're going to love it where you're going now because i know she would <laughs> and i knew that 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 love and that joy would just fill her heart so much yeah so it's yeah. So that I, I can imagine what you're just talking about there it must be very profound, and sounds like it's very that it stayed with you as well. Which I'm not surprised. Yeah, you know, one one thing that I would remember hearing in these hospices is is a lot of the fear that the, these people have have to do with religion, have to do with their spiritual beliefs. Yeah. And Jen is kind of a really good example of this because we we've been doing this podcast for quite some time, but she grew up uh, like a Catholic, right? And so there was a lot of fear behind. Uh, death because that whole guilt and shame thing sure, and exactly. whenever we would talk about you know life after death that that question of like whether or not somebody burns in hell for eternity comes up mm-hmm. you know and and to, to 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 find out as we kind of wax poetic about these topics like i, I started to see her fear of that kind of diminish mm. realizing oh, yeah. that after this life like there is no 
by a fiery inferno like no, waiting for you yeah. you know there's definitely been a paradigm shift in in my thought and this is something that we bring up a lot too uh joe rogan says don't ever yeah. become married to your ideas because you know you need to be flexible and open to other things to change your mind right yeah so and that's definitely over the course of of the history of this podcast how many how many paradigm shifts i've had in my prior beliefs to what i believe now Mm. is is just totally different so and i'm sure you yeah Yeah. definitely experienced that so yeah that's great because you i mean i'm not catholic but i've 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 got friends who are and i and i know that it's a very it's a very deep faith isn't it and it's uh you Mm -hmm. know as they say once a catholic always a catholic you know whether whether you follow it or or reject it you know it's still within you so 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 yeah so it's a big one for you i'm sure to overcome yeah, yeah, that, you know, that that's been inducted into you. <laughs> yeah, we had yeah. a we had an Akashic Record reader on our show, and um, she brought forth uh, a reading for Eric and I, and um, Jesus showed up in our oh, reading, well. which I thought was really interesting. <laughs> but she psychedelic said that Jesus, yeah, he was like psychedelic hippie, pot smoking Jesus, like, and he was in the psychedelic robe, and <laughs> and we were laughing because, like, of course that's how Jesus would appear, you know, to the two of us, because that's how how we yeah. would envision him in our mind. So, um, which brings me to your painting. And uh, for people who are listening to the podcast that want to see your paintings, um, it's shineonthestory.com. And uh, all of your artwork and your music are on the site. And uh, there's a, a painting in particular of Jesus, since we're on the Jesus topic. <laughs> and uh, the the he doesn't have a traditional type crown like you are used uh-huh. to seeing in like Renaissance type paintings. Um, no. It looks more like a UFO. Can you talk a little bit about? <laughs> yes, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the common. That? That's the common response to that halo. Yeah. Well, firstly, I didn't want to. When I'm doing these paintings, you know, I'm kind of yeah. I've got. I have a bit of a roadmap when I'm painting it. Like I wanted to paint him suspended above the local river where I live, but I also wanted to show him as I saw him in this pure white robe, looking really healthy, and not the usual mm-hmm. image of Christ on the cross, and and. There was a space at the top of the painting for the halo, and I thought I'm not going to give him a simple white line that you see in Renaissance paintings. I'm gonna, he's going to have more than that, and uh, so I let that develop. and And when I was having the healing sessions, some of the images I was seeing of light were I incorporated into that halo, which some people interpret as a UFO, like yourself. But those are images I was seeing in my healing sessions, and um, so yeah, I just wanted to. to show that his presence was just like he was just more than just a king he was just like wow he was just like this incredible being of, of great wisdom and great love and so yes yeah, so, so he, he deserved to have like a more than just a simple white line in, in, in my mind i guess so yeah yeah <laughs> trying to uh, connect the dots because in, in in his near-death experience he talked about an androgynous character and typically you see aliens as androgynous sort of beings oh, right. you know yeah, that's true. and in, in the in the new age community they talk about like pleiadians and arcturians and a lot of these sort of starseed um, conversations that me and jim have because we like the conversation you know, we, we, we like to explore like different possibilities of, you know, perhaps there is some hyper intelligent form of aliens that sort of moderates this whole, you know, simulation or virtual reality world that we're in. Yeah. And uh, some people see in those near death experiences, these beings that like don't look man or woman, they just look so far beyond that it makes me wonder if if uh you know et is really at the base of all this <laughs> yeah yeah for sure and in your description of of uh one of your guides that was helping to heal you um whenever you mm-hmm. were on the on the stone 
Um, mm. That description of the guy that was in the black T-shirt that sure. was just kind of like blonde hair and, you know, uh, sounds sounds very, very alien. It sounded very alien to me when I was reading it. Oh, okay, so I was looking yeah. at your painting and it looks like, I, in it, the painting, it looks like this person is depicted to be female, but but also kind of like an ambiguous type look, like could also be male. Yes, indeed. It's predominantly it, female. Um, because that was it. I, I mean, uh, my my take on it that, it that that person didn't look like an alien to me it, because, interestingly yeah. enough, that being's face looked incredibly familiar. In fact, I kept saying, oh, yeah, who right. are you? I know yeah. you, don't yeah. I? I know who you are. And so there was a strong connection with that person that I, that, that familiarness in that face was, was more than just like mm -hmm. an alien form. It was just... You know, it's very much a human form, yeah. So yeah, yeah I, think, cool. I, mean, yeah, I feel that's the sense that, that that was my keeper to my soul, and that was my ultimate, uh, you know, my my ultimate sort of higher self, my my spirit guide, if you like, that's been with me throughout my whole life and beyond, you know. Mm. So yeah, that, mm -hmm. that, that's and I feel the sense of that being is with me, you know, still now, very much so. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, you wow. hear that a lot with those like near-death experiences, which is like that 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 world was more real than this one. Yes, right. And sometimes they and, and that's why you feel like God and Source is, is such a an all-encompassing thing because there are people like Betty Eady, like you know Christ will come to you. There are people that have had near-death experiences that are Buddha, and Buddha shows up. Yeah, you know yeah. whatever whatever fashion, whatever way that you accept Source, maybe it's a compassionate impulse from Source because it doesn't want to maybe overwhelm you or scare, scare you. It's you. like okay, yeah. yeah, he just wants to come in whatever way you feel feel comfortable i think it was uh robin williams and what dreams may come it was his doctor that showed up like on the raft after he mm -hmm. um ventured into the afterlife sure. he was just like well it was it, you know what i mean and it exactly. wasn't really yeah. his doctor it was yeah. god dressed up as his doctor so it's like it's crazy how there it's 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 so far beyond just your typical sort of understanding of religion it's like all the all the all-encompassing ways in which source could show up it just shows up yeah yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's been, it's been taken so seriously. It, this is what I'm finding out. This is what I'm, which I'm loving, you know, there's, but there's so much research now going into near-death experiences. And, you know, in fact, in the UK, they were doing, they were going around hospitals, you know, sort of uh, trying to do experiments on people who agreed to be experimented on, who were who having life-threatening sort of, you know, heart surgery and things like that. They asked if they could you know sort of do all these tests in in theater because a lot of people have ndes when they're you know when they go into comatized states and what have you so yeah so there's an awful lot of research is going into it so which is fantastic yeah you know it's great and uh, and i've heard scientists talking about it and they are scientists but they're they're kind of like thinking yeah there's definitely something in this is because there's far too many people who've had this experience and just for it to sure be dismissed and uh, oh, yeah. and they like say a, yeah. you know there was a guy talking the other night about it I can't remember his name now and he was saying that um, the common thread is is that as you just pointed out that they they talk about their NDEs as being in, more real than than this life that we're in now this realm you know I mean I always describe it as being ultra real you know people say oh was it like a dream or an illusion I said no it was like ultra real so uh there was me worrying about forgetting about it all doesn't I haven't forgotten a single thing because of that ultra realness you know it stayed with me all this time and that is a common thread with people who've had NDEs you know if, if it, you know it you wouldn't want to continue talking about it throughout your whole life and make it a big thing would you if it wasn't that important it wasn't that real so right. yeah <laughs> 
it's, it's yeah it becomes almost like this fascination with with uh that that love at least it, it is for me with that that music and it makes me think of like the most natural thing that come to a human that's fully integrated which is to love like we do amazing things when we when we embody that sort of natural love that we have yeah. we create art we create music and it almost seems like everybody's you know going around searching for the meaning and that 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 journey is definitely important but um you know you look at trees and trees have a very specific function yeah. and 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 food and and nature has a very specific function and and there's a lot of curiosity as to what the function of the human being is and it makes me always just think of life like we have the ability to create life out of love like out of love that we have mm -hmm. For another human being yeah. and it makes me think of like love being like the the purest most authentic form of really what the purpose of what we are so it's like when i'm playing music when i'm listening to uh, reading a really amazing book like the love that i feel it brings out something and i want to like expand that i want to explore that hmm. and maybe that you can almost look at it as like pure creativity like taking like that love lov out of the equation and just looking at it as like an energy of creativity because that's where i feel like that inspiration comes from like yeah. source is just like a creative force that moves through expression and that's what i feel like it does with you and your music and your artwork and oh, it does for me and my music yeah yeah you no, know I, I can tell I, I, I listen to your music and it's, it's beautiful and i can see that that we're singing from the same hymn page you know that you're really yeah, it's, it's yeah. Really, you know, i mean <laughs> in particular you know your, your piece uh heaven i just thought that just kind of like was vibrating with me so strongly straight away it's just like it's really beautiful so, yeah, yeah it, it, it that 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 feeling that specific song it will that track and I remember when I messaged you um yesterday I was talking about like um I experience this music not as something that starts or ends it's almost like for a moment I'm channeling into this flow I almost almost see it as motion yeah. it's like audible motion because exactly. if you're listening to heaven it all it is is just a sine wave it's just like yeah. this this progressing sort of like um this 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 experience that just is just really entrancing you yeah. know but that that one in particular, I would hear this music that I'd experienced in my near death my near death experience a few times after that. It would come just spontaneously as a mystical experience, and and, and a large part of my journey has been trying to recreate that um, out of a fascination for it, and um, also wanting to share it with other people. Yeah. Of course, I mentioned I do sound healing outside of that, but um, it's interesting that I'm, I'm glad that you liked Heaven because there's just something about the way that it you know uh, feels inside mm. that always reminds me of how it felt for me in that space well, you know yeah. <laughs> i actually never heard that and i've known you for a long time and i've never heard these tracks so whenever they came through in the chat i listened to them as well so i think we should post them for the listeners to hear as well um, yeah we know we can yeah. find we can find uh, david's david's music online and yeah uh, he's also on soundcloud we yeah can find he's on, him SoundCloud on soundcloud as well too. yeah yeah. Yeah, and you can listen to those too. I had a question for you. Actually, it was really interesting because I, if I caught it in one of your videos, which was, um, you, you uh, had uh, you you said that you like to work with the TV on. Yes. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and that the that silence is something that like um, maybe is a little bit more difficult for you to make and create in. Yeah, and the the reason for that, I guess, is uh, well, is that I don't, I never want to sort of. Um, intellectualize what i'm doing and because i'm doing yeah. something like classical music it, there's, a, there's a tendency to start over intellectualizing it and i never want that to happen so i feel that if i've just got the tv on in the background very low that 
that's not going to happen because I'm not going to start taking it too seriously, you know. And so whatever oh, yeah. comes through, any ideas that come through, they're going to happen over the top of that noise. I mean, there are moments when I have to just mute the sound because I've got an idea that's kind of like, oh, this is really strong and it's really sensitive and it's got and it, it requires silence. But yeah, but that's the reason for that, I guess. Uh, I just um, I always want it to that. be like a pure sort of essence like that I'm channeling that's coming through, you know. It's like, it's interesting, I was watching uh, uh, recently, there was, there was uh, on the TV, there was some footage of Jimi Hendrix playing uh, guitar, and I was watching him, and I was thinking exactly the same thing. When, when you watch Jimi Hendrix playing, he's just totally channeling into the universe you know mm -hmm. it's like right. his fingers are going up and down that guitar like he's there's no he's not intellectualizing it at all <laughs> he's not even thinking yeah. about it you know he's letting yeah. the energy take over that guitar and take over him and his performance and that's one of the reasons that we're drawn to watch people like that not even just mm -hmm. musicians it's like you know sportsmen you know great sports players like for example tennis okay if you think about tennis it's quite a, a it's incredibly it's quite a, a, a dull game. It's just two guys or two women just with a bat sort of going backwards and forwards with a ball that goes on for hours right. and hours and hours. But we we watch them because those people are channeling as well. You know, they're just, they're yeah. not thinking about it too hard. They're allowing, they're, they're channeling energy to, to make themselves, you know, create the, the you know, they're, they're above the game, if you like. They're above, uh, you know, most... Uh, that's why they're world players. That's why they're great because they just know how to channel and not worry about it. When you watch them walk onto the court, they don't look nervous. They don't look. They look a little bit nervous, but nothing like you'd yeah. expect them to be. And um, yeah. so yeah, so I guess there's a lot of that going on. So I just, I, I just want to make sure that I'm never intellectualizing it. So that's the reason. It makes sense. It reminds me of like uh, in Zen where they talk about the flow state. Yeah. You know, like where you're 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 fully integrated with your your mind and your heart, and you're not you're not thinking about how something should be done. And you know, Jiddu yeah. Krishnamurti talks a lot about this too, which is like artists, like they, whenever an artist like sits down and and tries to make the intention of making art, there's some part of it that ceases to be art. There's like this different sort of thing that happens when you are like fully integrated with that that flow state, that creativity, where it just happens. Like it just it just flows and you can't explain it. Yeah. It's like trying to explain source, like moving through your body, you know. I have yeah. a funny story that is that is related to Jimi Hendrix more than anything. But my dad was telling me a story about when he was young. He was really a huge fan of Jimi Hendrix uh, for that reason, right? Like his ability to channel and it, it's he's just so captivating. Yeah. So uh, I guess my dad took a couple hits of acid and was laying on his bed <laughs> and was looking at a Jimi Hendrix poster that came to life and played like a full concert for him. Ooh, wow. <laughs> so every amazing. time I, yeah, I know, right? So every time I, I hear about Jimi Hendrix, that story just comes to mind. I think about my dad tripping on acid. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I hope he's okay with me sharing that story. Yeah, <laughs> it's well, out there well, in the well, universe had a good now, trip, but, didn't he? So why not? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And it's true. Like you even like, like watching like Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know, that oh, guy yeah. is just oh, like, that's another one whoa he, yeah you know what i mean and then you hear mm -hmm. that story of like st carlos santana at woodstock where like i didn't know this for a long time growing up that like he had he had taken acid before he hopped on stage mm -hmm. and his guitar turned into a snake and he this whole the the, the whole show was him trying to like sort Play of like snake. hush down this this snake <laughs> yeah. that was like going crazy yeah. you yeah. know and and um it, it's, it's crazy how like it, how how uh yeah. present they are with these ex yeah. things you know exactly 
Well, David, thank you so much for coming on the show. We cannot, uh, we can't even express how excited we were to have you. And thank you for staying on extra time to talk more about your book. Um, If there's one thing that you had to leave with our listeners, um, feel free. This is your opportunity to to put it out there. Yeah. um, Well, I would just say, you know, you probably already gathered it from what I said, is is to be authentic to yourself, you know, just to, to your true self. Try to stop worrying about fitting in in with with the world that you're in you know and, and just you know and allow that authenticity to come through and once you find that authenticity you'll realize that uh, new doors will open for you uh, automatically and very slowly but they're the right doors to open rather than the ones that you think you should be pushing ahead at you know and uh, and whatever is meant to be on that pathway of your life will will suddenly it'll flower and it'll flourish and and you'll enjoy life a lot more. That's how I feel. Wonderful. That's That's great advice. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much again for uh, David for um, for showing up for us. Um, You have a, you have a few um, um, seminars coming up. Did you want to share the dates to those and where people can maybe sign up for those? Um, let me think. There are there's a few that haven't actually been confirmed yet. I'm going to be doing something with um, Dr. Raymond Moody at some point in the next oh, few months. So awesome. watch out for that. With, uh, Paul that's Perry. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. That'll be awesome. Yeah. Um, that I'm one thing I can firmly say that I'm going to be talking at the next uh, uh, global uh, annual online NDE summit. Um, that and that runs from the the 23rd to the 25th of July, and I'll be speaking on the 25th. Of July, um, so if people okay. you know just go online, you, you'll be able to f- find that. Um, uh, if you, if, I mean, if you want to find out, if anybody wants to follow me on social media, um, you know, I've got there's an Instagram page where I, my paintings go up, but also you'll be able to see posts about things that are coming up. So do follow me. Yeah. You can find all those links on on my website anyhow. But if you if you feel like following me on and on, on that or through YouTube or Facebook, you'll see uh, you know the things that are coming. Uh, coming along but that's that's the one i yeah. can confirm which is great because as i say there's some really good speakers on that and dr evan alexander will be talking and uh, some some real big names and some real heavyweights yeah. as i call them in the the nde field so that would be great yeah so that's you're definitely one of them that's for sure yeah, yeah they're, they're, absolutely they're, you're definitely one of them and i have one more question though when's the movie coming out david ah yeah. Well, that's, 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 that's <laughs> you know, it's not a, 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 that's a fair question because I'm, I'm actually working on that's one of the projects I'm working on. Uh, we're, I'm working, yeah, I'm working it's with such a uh, good movie. with my co-writer. We're working on a script. Um, um, whether whether it becomes a movie or whether it becomes, you know, like a sort of you know a six-part Netflix thing, we don't know. Again, just like <laughs> just like with the book, and uh, we'll see how it glows, how it grows, how it glows. Yeah, <laughs> how it glows. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, um, but too many people have been saying, you know, this this as you guys said it very kindly yourself. This sounds like it's a movie. You know, it should be a movie. It so, does. So we're just we're just we're just putting it together, and I tell you what. We're really enjoying it, and what's coming out so far is just feeling really exciting, and it just and it's feeling really good. So, we'll see where, where the energy takes us um, on on that. Yeah. So, yeah, that would be great. I feel Absolutely. like that's where I, think, I feel like that's where source is going to take you next, man. Yeah, yeah. For sure. that's next so. for sure. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. I can see that on Netflix. I can see that on like oh, uh, I totally one of those Hulu channels oh. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 
exactly yes yeah. It's, yeah. it's fun it's, it's it's great i'm enjoying it you know it's really it's really good because for me being dyslexic i'm more into movies than i am into books so this is kind of i'm, yeah. I'm bringing ideas to the table i was going wow you know let's make this what about this scene we could make it more like and they're going yeah great yeah so anyway we shall see where where the light takes us yeah. excellent so for our listeners, if you want to follow David, please give him a like, subscribe, all the things. David underscore Ditchfield is his Instagram handle. And if you want to hear his music or see his, his uh, or read his book, um, it is available on uh, Kindle. So you can get that through Amazon and download download that to your Kindle or get a hard copy like Eric has. Yeah, that's Me and Jen have it. As well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Start a book anywhere. club. Start a book club with your friends. Talk about this book. Yeah, you can <laughs> get a lot of good stuff in here. Yes. Yeah. So... Like, subscribe, give him some support so we can get a movie out soon. And yeah. thank you again, David. We, thank it you, was guys. Such a pleasure it's been brilliant to have you. chatting with you. Really good. Yeah, very right beautiful, out. beautiful man. Beautiful story. Uh, thank you so you much for offering well, your friend. gifts to the world. Uh, we totally love you. And good luck. We'll talk to you soon. Good to Cheers. Bye now. Thank you, David. <laughs>